Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Happy Mother's Day again. I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here and always, whether you are connecting with us on the live stream or you're here at our campus that's in Charlotte, North Carolina live, it's always such a privilege to be able to stand before you on a Sunday gathering and be able to open up the the Word of God for you and and excavate it and then celebrate it together. And today is the, the last message in this series, Love is in the Air. It's called The One Question You Must Ask. One question you must ask. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate uh, the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, and just verses 2 and 3. And once you locate that, maybe your Bible looks like this, or maybe it's on your phone. And once you locate that, just keep your finger there so that you can go back to it at the appropriate time. Words are also going to be up on the screen, as they always are. And, And just so you know, this series about love is in the air. It's really part of something larger that we have at this church. It's called the Beautiful Marriage Movement. And that Beautiful Marriage Movement is a seven-year project because, you know, we we realize whether you're single or married or single again, or even if you know you're never going to get married, if we can turn pretty weddings into beautiful marriages all around our community, the whole community gets better. So we, we have embarked on this project. We want to touch 10,000 couples over seven years with life-giving resources to turn pretty weddings into beautiful marriages with that understanding. Man, everybody gets blessed, married or not, when marriages are more healthy. And, and so uh, you can find out more about that at, at beautifulmarriages.org. And there's all kinds of social media information up on the screen as well. So make sure you, you connect with all of that and all the life-giving resources that we're touching 10,000 couples with over the next several years. Back to Galatians chapter six, the reason that we love for you to, to locate that, to have it near, that I'm gonna read from it. We know that, the, the, first of all, we, we know that the biblical library, and it, and it is not a book, it's a library, and the book of Galatians is actually a letter. It's a, the, the section of the biblical library devoted to correspondence. And Galatians, that w- was a, a collection of churches in what is today Turkey. It's the Galatian region. So we're, we're sort of looking over Paul. Paul's a pastor and a missionary. We're, we're looking over his shoulders. He writes this letter to this collection of churches in this ancient land, in the ancient world, and yet the words are so fresh and so relevant. And the reason they're fresh and they're relevant is because they, they didn't just come out of thin air, that God inspired these words. We, we, you may not believe that yet, and that's okay. We just want you to know where we stand. We believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, we have a custom here. We're not a very formal or liturgical church, as they say, but we have this moment of liturgy, this moment of custom that we do, and it reminds us who we are. That's that we lift the Bible up. And if you've never been here before and that just looked kind of strange to you to see all these Bibles in the air, we admit it. We don't get defensive about it. Yeah, it's a little bit odd. We, We admit it. But we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, there were a collection of people who were surrendered to the authority of the word and glad that's the case in our lives. Amen? And so before I say anything else, let's pray. So Lord, thank you for your word. And, and I pray, Father, that you would, the same Holy Spirit, 
Thank you that we could sing about the same God. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you have not changed. And so I ask that the same Holy Spirit who breathed life into Paul so long ago would inspire the words that I utter in these moments and that you, Holy Spirit of God, that you would open minds and open ears for everyone within the sound of my voice. And thank you, Lord, that I'm powerless without you and praise you, God, that because of you, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are winding up this series, Love is in the Air, with a a message that's called The One Question You Must Ask. And some of you are like, well, go ahead and just tell us what that question is now and be done with it, Talbot. But that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Because a couple of weeks ago, the series got started with the one thing you must know. And then last week, Devin Tharp brought it, uh, brought it home with the one habit you must practice. And we're, as a, as a church, as a preaching team, we, we try to avoid shoulds and musts and oughts. And, and so here we are breaking our own rules with all these messages with the word must in the title. And, and, and that's because this series is, is at the intersection of love and romance and spring fever and marriage and how all of those things connect. And I've known for several weeks that I wanted to, to wrap this message series up by delving into that one question. Whether you're married, whether you're single, single again, maybe you even think, I'm probably never going to get married. Wherever you are, there is one question that must get asked. And it's really vital, I I think, to, to, to ponder and consider the questions that do get asked because Lord, I know there's a lot of questions that, that get asked and answered in romance and in marriage and in relationship that frankly, when the questions get asked, they are really just landmines in disguise, aren't they? Especially from the perspective of guys who are so often clueless when it, when it comes to questions you should answer and questions that you should just avoid. And, and you know, guys, the kind of questions that I'm answering, is, is she as pretty as I am? How, how do I look in this? Do you want to go see my parents today? You know, these are... These are questions at which the typical guy really has no business answering at all. Man, even with couples, dating couples, married couples, that simple question of, well, where would you like to go for dinner tonight? I mean, that can lead to all kinds of negotiation and all kinds of detente and all kinds of compromises that leave everybody a little bit unhappy. You, you, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. You know all the landmines that you have, you've stepped in by asking and answering the wrong question at kind of the wrong time. And I believe that the reason questions give us so much difficulty in relationships is, is because so many of us tend to be wrapped up in ourselves. 
I've told a lot of you before that a lot of us are so wrapped up in our own story that we fail to see how we are the supporting character in someone else's. We, we tend to think everything revolves around us and, and man, that can be so true, especially in this realm of romance and, and a marriage. It makes me think of the, the couple that went in that they had a, a counseling session and, and, and after some pleasantries, the, 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 the therapist asked them, and this is what therapists often do at the very beginning of a section, uh, session, well, what brings you in today? And, and the wife pipes up without any kind of hesitation. I'm here to find out what his problem is. <laughs> Which just lets you know with stunning clarity that his problem was more than likely the one who just made that statement. <laughs> and, and I've had more than a handful of sessions where, where, where after, again, some nice opening, even some honest conversation, what our recovery friends call a searching and a fearless moral inventory. After that is over, the butts take over. And you're like, the butts take over? Talbot, are you going all fifth grade boy on us? No. When I say the butts take over, it's those lines that, that, that I've heard, maybe those lines that, that you have said that, 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 that go like, yeah, I drank and I cheated and I drove us to financial ruin, and I'm a wreck with the kids, but she drove me to it. Or I strayed and I fled, but it's his fault. I made a mess of our relationship, but it is the fault of the other person in the relationship. Yeah, the butts take over. And some of you realize you've heard that exact same saying come out of someone else's mouth. And some of you now realize kind of with this sinking pit in your stomach, you said that just this week, I made a mess but they made me do it. And, and, I, and I think the butts take over because so many people, not, not only do we, do we get wrapped up in our own life, we have so much of a lack of self-awareness. Do you know what self-awareness is? Maybe you don't, probably you do, but, but self-awareness is, is, is that ability to understand how you come across to others how other people perceive and experience with you experience you self-awareness is that ability to read the room and a, and a lack of self-awareness is an inability to read the room and and really a, a lack of of self-awareness it, it 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 happens when people complain about others the very behavior that they embody in themselves People who yell the loudest, you know this, they have the most to hide. And I think that lack of self-awareness, not really knowing how we come across, not really knowing how other people experience us, not really realizing how the things we complain about in others are the things we're guilty of ourselves, I think all of that uh, kind of comes home in, in, uh, in relationships. And I've come to believe that a low self-awareness leads to high relational trauma and maybe even a high divorce rate. And that, I think, leads Paul to utter some really remarkable words in Galatians chapter six. Now, 
Paul wasn't speaking in, in Galatians. He wasn't speaking specifically about marriage, but he was speaking to a collection of churches who at this moment in time had all kinds of conflict and all kinds of drama and all kinds of hopelessness that they would ever be able to figure things out. So really, Paul was talking about marriage without meaning to talk about marriage. And look at what he tells the Galatian churches in, in chapter six and verse three of his letter. He says this, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Well, way to water it down so much, Paul. I mean, this is not the kind of verse that you see on a bumper sticker or that you see on a t-shirt or that you see on a church marquee sign. But you should. Because of all the verses in scripture, this is the one that slaps us into self-awareness. If, if you think you're easy to get along with, if you think you're all that, if you think that you're in a relationship that's troubled and it's all the other person's faults, they, you, you deceive yourself. And Paul's really penetrating observation that, that does lead to the question that I think must be asked. And, and I know some of you, oh, is, is the question that must be asked uh, that you, are you someone who thinks you're something when you're not? Oh, that's one I wanna ask, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. The question that must be asked, when, when you realize how it is that, that Paul's penetrating words just kind of obliterate our lack of self-awareness and ask us again and again and again, pay attention to how you come across and how you're experiencing and what you're like, it leads to this question, the one question that must be asked for love to stay in the air. And it's this, what's it like to be married to me? Or if you're single, what's it like to date me? If you're single again, whew, what was it like to be married to me? What's it like to be married to me? This is a question that I want you to ask, that I want you to ponder, that I want you to savor, that I want you to ask again, that I want you continually to process what is it like to be married, to be in a relationship with me? So one question that must be asked, listen, it's so, so interesting. I, I, I tend to think that I'm I'm mostly harmless, you know, like, like I, I, I don't drink and I'm, I'm, I'm not violent and, you know, I'm, I'm more of a lover and, and not a fighter. And, and so, I, you know, just for the longest time, I thought I'm, 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 I'm kind of a catch. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? And then, and then, and then, I started asking that question. Well, listen, self-satisfied Talbot, what is it like to be married to you? And I came up with a, a list. It's only like seven pages long. And, and I wanted to share some of what I came up with of what it's like to be married to me. Can't fix, we're gonna throw these up on the screen, can't fix or build anything. 
can't cook, can't dance, depressed if bad church attendance day, depressed if bad hair day, take myself very seriously, had some mom issues, selfish with a veneer of kindness, watches the tennis channel at all hours, obsessed with Don Henley, Dawes, those are musicians, and Roger Federer, tennis player, needs constant reinforcement. See mom issues above. <laughs> Allergic to cats, so ours live in the garage. Allergic to dogs, so stay at a hotel when we visit kids. All of a certain, sudden, allergic to gluten, so essentially can't eat anything anymore. And, I, and I, I put that list together and I realized I'm not such a, a catch after all. I'm just really high maintenance. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm blessed to be married to someone who's willing to do that maintenance. Can we hear an amen for that? Yes, what's, what's it like? What's it like to be married to me? And, and actually, as, as you ask that question and, and answer it with some rigorous honesty, people, even, even that phrase, high maintenance, man, I love how we use that. We, we always use it to talk about other people, don't we? Well, she's high maintenance, he's, he's high maintenance, and and, and I just want you to be asking this question of what is it like to be married to you so that you'll realize all the ways, yeah, you're the high maintenance one. And so many of you, so many of us, we're the, we're the temperamental Ferraris and the people we date, the people we love, the people we're married to, they're that faithful mechanic under the hood, always working on that temperamental Ferrari. And, and I give you this question, I give you this message just to give all those mechanics a break so that you will realize all the ways that you're a little less of a prize and a lot more high maintenance than you ever thunk you were. What's it like to be married to me? You know who really needs this? Who, who really, really needs it? People who have a good reputation. People whose name and, and image out there in the community is, is on the up and up. I, I remember this conversation I had years ago, another guy, another town, and, and he was telling me with this mixture of, of, of regret and bewilderment, really, how everybody in that town thought that his parents were just the greatest thing ever. And he would tell me that he would run into people in town and they would say, oh, your parents, they're so nice and they're so funny. And all my friend could think in those moments was, you have no idea what it was like to be raised by them. You have no idea what it was like behind closed doors. And if you're one of those people and you, you know what it's like to work with you. You know what it's like to go to the game with you. you. You know what it's like to go to church with you. But do you know what it's like to be intimate with you? To be in love with you? Are you one of those people who treat the people you need out there with kindness? And yet the people you love 
with cruelty? You need to be asking this question again and again. Is my reputation outside more important than my integrity behind closed doors? What's it like to be married to me? Now, please, please do not hear what I am not saying because there are two enormous exceptions to this. And the one enormous exception to this is, is this. If you're the victim of domestic violence, do not ask that question, what's it like to be married to you? Do not let your abuser make you ask that question because if they do, they are gaslighting you into accepting responsibility for their lunacy. So if you're in the victim situation of domestic violence, don't let your partner weaponize this question. And the the second enormous exception to this is if you're on the receiving end, the, the victim end of chronic adultery, do, do not let your partner have you ask this question as a way of saying, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm not interested enough and so he strayed. Or, or, or I, I put her on ignore, I put the relationship on pause and so she went out. No, 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 no. This question is to be asked, but it's not to be weaponized. Do not hear. What I am not saying, what's it like to be married to me? And uh, as you ask that question, as you grow in self-awareness, one of the things, one, one of the real linchpins of our beautiful marriage movement that I'm very, very excited about is a ministry called Reengage. And we are just wrapping up a spring semester of Reengage now. And Reengage is a 16 week marriage ministry. It's actually discipleship under the guise of marriage ministry. It's been fabulously successful, and it really is at the heart of our beautiful marriage movement. And we are actually, signups are open today. If you, if you go to the website, we're gonna throw that address up on the screen. If you go to gsumc.org slash connect and you see re-engage there, you can sign up today for the fall series of re-engage as, as we multiply leadership, as we deepen honesty and vulnerability. We will be strengthening. The, the great thing about re-engage is, yeah, we got a lot of good shepherd couples who are part of it, but we got a lot of people who've never stepped foot in this building uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina until re-engage happened. So, so we, we want to invite you, sign up and, and have friends sign up because we, we have realized we have realized it is a lot better in marriage ministry to prevent crises than to manage them. And asking that question, what's it like to be married to me? Entering into ministry like re-engage, man, that puts you right on that path because ultimately, truthfully, what I would love to happen is that Galatians chapter six, verse three, would morph into Galatians chapter six, Verse two, look at, look at what Paul has, has said just before he says you deceive yourself. Look at what he says. Carry each other's burden and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
And so what he's saying is when both members of a couple ask, what's it like to be married to me? What's it like to date me? What's it like to be in relationship to me? When both members of a couple ask that question and ask it repeatedly, self-awareness in individuals becomes unselfishness in a couple, which means a relationship that brings honor and glory to Jesus himself, a little bit like a relationship and a marriage of a couple of friends of mine that I want you to learn about. Check up on the screen and you'll see who I'm talking about. Whoever can guarantee that a marriage would be that strong 68 years Mm. later. We were married on August 29th, 1953, a long time ago. And the day was an incredible day for me, and I think for you too. Since then, a ton of things have happened. We have moved, and we have moved, and we have moved. I've been transferred 17 times between the Air Force and General Motors. So we are currently living in our 17th house. We've lived in a lot of places, but never out of the United States. We just knew wherever you went, we wanted to be, the the children and I. And I just told them, you know, where daddy goes, we go. We've been blessed with three wonderful children, seven grandsons, and five great-grandchildren, and one more on the way. We've had a lot of opportunities to grow closer to the Lord and to each other. Marriage is a give-and-take proposition. We all have our moments of selfishness, and we just determined to work them through. It may have taken a little cooling-off period, but we did. We do make mistakes, and we both need to forgive. Your willingness to admit mistakes that you've made to your mate and to your family or to whomever is involved Don't hesitate to do that. That's so true. And making up is fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Jesus was always the foundation of our marriage. So whatever we did, we knew that there were always three of us together in this relationship. And we were quick to go to prayer if we had a problem. And he always eventually solved them. Not always immediately, but eventually. Lord has impacted us tremendously. Um, and I would recommend that to anyone that, because it's a case of just totally surrendering to self for Him. It's really important to have fellowship with fellow believers. It really, really helps. And our life group here at Good Shepherd has been a real blessing to us. The relationships that you have in studying the Word and knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus with one another is an incredible thing that's not only helped us, but helped, I think, in in our relationship with one another. With 68 and a half years of marriage and over 70 years of knowing each other, it's just been a blessing. We have a sign in our den that talks about well day marriage being established in 1953. It's a constant reminder of the the day we were married 
and how many years it's been since 1953. And we're so grateful there's no end date on it. So we're still going strong here. Thank the Lord. Oh, oh it's been great. It still is. Yes, it is. Still is. <laughs>